You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you're new here, my name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors uh, at Citizens Church. Welcome. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. If you're uh, watching online, wherever you are, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll be in the book of Proverbs this morning and several Proverbs. I want to say a few things before we uh, turn our attention to the sermon. The first is uh, today's Palm Sunday, and so that means today's the beginning of uh, Holy Week. And this Friday, we have a Good Friday service. We'd love to uh, see you there. And then this Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, we have three services at 7, 9, and 11, 15. We'd love for you to be at one of those. To our members, if there's any way for you to wake up early with us and come at 7, uh, please, please do that. Um, I'll be here. And so we'd love to see you here. Uh, the other is I want to give an update on uh, City Camp. Uh, City Camp is our summer camp for our uh, elementary-aged kids. And a couple weeks ago, I kind of told you we were in a bind because we had had a, a ton of, uh, we had a lot more registered than what we had expected and what we had leaders for. And so we had 70 kids uh, on the wait list, unable to get into, uh, into City Camp. And to be able to take them, we needed like 30 leaders, and I, th- I think I joked with you, kind of half-joked with you, that if you care about the souls of children, then you'll, <laughs> you'll help us. Well, it turns out uh, you care about the souls of children. <laughs> um, you responded, and not only uh, do we have enough leaders to take all the kids on the wait list, but we had even more kids register, and so right now, 215 kids are coming to City Camp this summer. So praise God and thank you. Uh, I do want to say we still, we don't need more group leaders necessarily, but we still do need some volunteers in other areas to make that work. And so if you care about the souls of children, <laughs> you can help us with that. Melissa can tell you what we, what we still need. Uh, we are three months into a series on wisdom. And I'm about to say a couple things that I hope sound really familiar to you if you've been here. Wisdom is living in God's world, in God's way. Wisdom has a posture, it's low. We grow wise as we are humble. Wisdom has a pace, it's slow. We grow wise over time. Wisdom has a person, it's Jesus. We grow wise in relationship with him. And in the starting place for wisdom, the staying place of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And what the fear of the Lord is, is it's being so overwhelmed by the greatness and grace of God that we move towards him with all of our life. And that moving towards him makes us wise. And part of becoming wise is being able to spot foolishness in our life. And Proverbs says there's four different kinds of ways to be a fool, and it names them the stubborn and the simple and the sluggard and the scoffer. And it's important to know which one we're prone to or which ones we see coming out of our life. And that's all foundational. These are all truths that have marked our three months together. They really are the, the, the foundation uh, that we are standing on, or, or maybe rather the foundation we're invited to kneel on in order to become Wise, And we added another piece to that foundation. It, it's, it's really important. It may be not as foundational. Maybe it doesn't get as much attention in the book of Proverbs, but it's really important, and it's really hard to talk about in some ways. But, but here it is. Here's what we started last week. A part of becoming wise is learning to be wise with our wounds. It's really important. Proverbs teaches us there's a condition that we can experience. You heard Taryn just read to us about it. Uh, we can experience it. It's called a crushed spirit. Uh, my friend and mentor, he gives the crushed spirit a name. He calls them the wounded. 
and the wounded, the crushed in spirit, need wisdom. They need a lot of things, but one of the things that we need is, is wisdom. And so we began the conversation last week. This is week two of wisdom and the wounded. And uh, if you missed last week, again, some of this might, uh, might not make as much sense. Go back and listen. But I do want to situate us uh, again in last week. Proverbs eighteen fourteen: A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? Proverbs fifteen thirteen: A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. Proverbs seventeen twenty two: A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A couple months ago, uh, I watched a, a video. It was a, a, a friend of mine sent this to me. It was a conversation that happened in 2019 between uh, Anderson Cooper and Stephen Colbert. Do you expect to hear about those guys this morning at church? Um, the conversation was about grief and loss, and obviously this isn't an endorsement of anyone's political views, but uh, I found the conversation that they had to be really true and really good and really moving in a lot of ways. And uh, these two men, they share a lot of suffering together. They share a lot of the same hard life experiences. Stephen Colbert lost his dad and two of his brothers in a plane crash when he was 10 years old. Anderson Cooper also lost his father when he was 10 years old. Uh, both men have lost siblings. Both men have lost their moms. Anderson Cooper's mom had recently passed away, and that's what kind of led to them having this conversation. And so they sat down together and they just talked about grief and they talked about loss and they talked about suffering and how it changes life and how it changed them. And they really namely talked a lot about uh, how does it affect a person who goes through something so terrible like losing your dad when you're 10 years old. And something said in the conversation has really stuck with me. It just resonated as true. Anderson Cooper's talking about how he thinks about life after all these years. And he said this, I know it sounds weird, he said, but I wish I had a scar. He said, I, I wish I had like a Bond villain kind of scar. I've not seen a lot of James Bond movies. Uh, I'm more of a Mission Impossible guy, but I looked up what he was talking about, and in a lot of the James Bond movies in the 70s and 80s, the villain had some sort of visible scar. In fact, there was one particular bad guy who, had a, uh, who was in a lot of James Bond movies, and he had a, you might know this, he had a scar that ran from the top of his head through his eye down his face. And Anderson Cooper says, I wish I had one of those kinds of scars. He says it like this, I wish I had a scar that was unavoidable running down my face because it would be this silent signal to everyone I meet that I am not the person I was meant to be. I was not the person I started out being. And something about that just deeply resonated. Maybe I'd say it different than that, but in other words, he's saying there are these internal wounds I carry, these painful things that have happened, that have affected who I am, but you can't tell that just looking at me. I wish I had a, a scar that told a bit of, of my story. I wish I had something that said that, that at least people could look at and say, oh man, something happened to him. So he lost his dad at 10 and later loses a brother, and he had just lost his mom. And he says, I, I just wish there was something on my body that was this silent signal that something has happened to my soul, something outside that says something has happened inside. That way, at least I would have some sort of external sign of internal pain, and it would be easier if there was just a visible scar that told the story so that everyone knew, or at least as people tried to get to know me, they would inevitably have to ask me, what happened? What went wrong? Could you, I wonder, 
say something like that. Like, there are things I've suffered, there are ways I've been wounded, things that have so changed my life, things that have so affected my life that I almost need some sort of outward sign that says something happened. And you probably don't actually want a face scar to do that, right? But you resonate with the idea of suffering that you've been through or suffering that you are going through that needs somewhat of a, a silent signal to those around you. If I were to put all that in the words from last week or at least connect it to what we said last week, it would sound like this. In Proverbs 18:14, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. We said the most important part of living uh, a, a healthy uh, life is, is, live, is having a healthy whole inner life. The idea behind the word spirit that, that the Hebrew uses is it's the inner life. It's the things that are most true about you. And a healthy whole inner life can endure sickness. A healthy whole inner life can endure a difficult outer life. That's the first sentence. But at the same time, life can be so cruel and life can be so painful and life can be so tragic that the inner life is crushed. And that's who the wounded are, if you remember. They have a crushed inner life. So the, the two men having the conversation about grief likely at some point in life experienced, you know, losing their dads, losing family members. They experienced what Proverbs would point to and say, oh, that's a crushed spirit. That's who the wounded are. There's a crushed inner life. Proverbs 15, 13, by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. What crushes a spirit? Last week we asked, what happened to the wounded? How did the spirit get crushed? Well, sorrow, suffering, loss deeply wounds. There were three things we named. Loss deeply wounds. When someone you love dies, it wounds deeply. It can crush a spirit, like losing your dad when you're 10, like losing a spouse, like losing a child, like losing a friend. Sickness deeply wounds, we said. Chronic illness, having a disability, a failing body, suffering of the mind. To be in constant pain is exhausting and it's crushing. Fools deeply wound, we said. The stubborn and the scoffer deeply wound people. The stubborn wound through harsh control. The scoffer, who is the most destructive fool, wounds through abuse, violence, preying on innocence. And it's around that kind of suffering that some might say, it has so changed my life. It has so affected who I am. It has so infused pain into my life. It's like I need a scar to tell the story. Some signal that says something happened. I lost someone I love, and I'm not the same. I'm sick in a way that means daily suffering in life. I was wounded by a fool in a way that crushed something in me, and I need some sign that says, I'm not okay. I'm wounded. It's a kind of wounded that you can't see. This story almost needs a scar, maybe. Where we ended last week was asking this question, what do the wounded need? Proverbs 17, a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I'm not sure that, that I did this, at least as faithfully as I needed to, but my pastoral hope last week was to hold out a hard truth and, a, and right next to it hold out a beautiful truth. And here was the hard truth. It, wounds don't heal themselves. They don't. Time doesn't heal all wounds. It's not true. A, a crushed spirit dries up the bones. There is wisdom needed for the wounded and if that wisdom is ignored, wounds don't go away, they fester. And festering wounds make people foolish. And that comes out as crippling fear that controls life. That comes out as harsh anger that erodes relationships. And I said last week, we are all responsible for what comes out of us, for sure. I am just convinced, my friends, that for many of us, the problems of our present are connected to unhealed pain from our past. 
And we need to know that. We need to pay attention to that. We need space to be able to be honest about that and move forward in that. The hard truth is this. As hard as it is to be wounded, as hard as it is to raise your hand and say, you know what, I have a story that maybe needs a scar, it's even harder. As hard as it is to have a crushed spirit, if left alone, life gets even worse. The bones dry up. That's the hard truth. Here's the beautiful truth. With Jesus, please hear me. The beautiful truth is that with Jesus, a wounded spirit does not have to mean a ruined life. Like Paul says, crushed but not destroyed. Psalm 34, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. There is a kind of beauty and a kind of goodness that can come from the life of the wounded even and because of our wounds. You can bloom laying down, if you remember last week. And if you take those two truths together, the option for the wounded is this. You can be, we can be wounded and foolish, or we can be wounded and beautiful. And I imagine all of us, especially those who would say, I have a story that deserves a scar, want the latter. I think we all want wounded and beautiful. How does that happen? Great question. Good friends, good words, and good news. Proverbs tells us what the wounded need, the path to wounded and kind and wounded and beautiful and wounded in goodness is through good friends, good words, and good news. Good friends, Proverbs 19.4 says this, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs 18.24 a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17. It's one of the first verses I memorized as a kid. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Taken together, we'll spend a whole week on wisdom and friendships at some point in the next five years. <laughs> um, taken together, Proverbs teaches us something that we need for this morning, though. Uh, suffering reveals true friends from false friends. That's what suffering does. It says in, I love 19.4, it's so honest and, and so relevant to the suburbs. Uh, wealth brings many new friends. When you have toys, you got a lot of friends. Uh, a few months ago, a friend gave me tickets to a Mavs game, and I was telling another friend about the game, how great it was, and uh, this friend said, well, how'd you get the tickets? And I said, oh, well, a friend gave them to me. And he said, does that guy need any more friends? <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you who said that. It was bleaker. Um, <laughs> he's a good friend, to be clear. But there is a kind of friend that is a friend because they find the friendship useful. They find the friendship beneficial. But a poor man is deserted by his friends. A man of many companions may come to ruin, it says, meaning the number of your friends is not the indication of a healthy life. That's not it. There's a guy with tons of friends, and he may come to ruin. It's not the number of friends. It's the quality of the friendships you have that mark a healthy life. And what makes a true friend a true friend? They love at all times, Proverbs 17, 17. They are born for adversity. They stick even closer than a brother, closer than family. And what suffering does is suffering reveals true friends from false friends. And friendship, please hear this, friendship is most needed in seasons of suffering. It says, think about this, a brother is born 
for adversity. In other words, the very purpose, one of the, the chief reasons friends are friends is for when we're wounded, for when we suffer, is that the, the point of friendship is one of God's designs behind friendship is that I would look at a wounded friend and say, oh, God put me in your life so you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to be wounded alone. The friend loves at all times. How we've talked about love around here before. We haven't in a while, but it says this. Love is simply I am with you and I am for you, even and especially when it's difficult because I want my life to make your life look more like Jesus. That's what it means to love someone. I'm with you. I'm for you, especially when it's difficult. I want my life to make your life look more like Jesus. I'm in this with you for that reason. And what do the wounded need? The wounded need good friends. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. That is always true. It is especially true in seasons where the spirit is crushed. And so let's tease that out just a minute. What that means is if you are a friend and someone that you are a friend to, someone that you're close to is wounded, someone in your life is wounded deeply from loss, someone is wounded from sickness, someone is wounded from a fool, God has put you in their life, tied you to them as a friend for this very moment of their life. Don't move. The, we don't like pain. We don't like discomfort. And so the knee-jerk reaction is to move from. And God says the reason you're their friend is for this moment, move towards them. Move toward. Um, the, it, that means a couple things. That means husbands, when your wife is wounded, Move towards her. Be a friend to her. Don't avoid. Don't dismiss. Be a friend. That means, wives, when your husbands are wounded, be a friend to him. Don't criticize. Don't coddle. Be a friend. I just need to say this. If friends are born for adversity and marriage is the highest form of friendship for the married person, that means the marriage was born for adversity. We were brought together even and especially for the difficult times. And often marriages don't survive seasons of suffering, and there are a lot of reasons why. Maybe one reason is because we suffer as single individuals instead of suffering as married friends. Move towards one another. Friends love at all times. That also means this. If, if I think through my community of people, and I am, what I'm going to do to be, to be faithful to God's word is I'm going to think through my community of people and I'm going to circle the wounded and say, they're going to need more from me in this season. And so I'm going to carve space in my life for them, to love them. And maybe I'm not sure that that person wants me in that way. Maybe I'm not sure if that person needs, like maybe I'm not that person in their life like I think I am. Wisdom would say this, just ask. Just ask. And be okay if the answer is No. But, but even in the asking, you'll minister to them. But here's the point. Suffering should activate the best and most beautiful of what friendship was made for. It should activate that. And maybe what that means is you have, like many in our church do, maybe it means you have eyes for the wounded who have no friends. If what the wounded need, they need good friends. Maybe what some of you have is you have that unique gift to offer empathy to strangers. Um, a few months ago, after service, there was a woman sitting alone during our response time. Um, most of the room had cleared. Uh, Bleeker is sing Bleeker, who's a really good friend, just to clarify anything that I might have said earlier. Uh, he, Bleeker's singing. He's leading us. A few of us are praying. 
And there's a woman who was new to our church who was just sitting alone, weeping, just broken. And I have no idea what was wrong. I'm not sure what the story was behind the scar, but I watched one of our members, a woman who's been here a really long time. She was walking out of the worship center, going to do something, and she sees uh, the woman sitting alone. She walks past her. They don't know each other. And then she stops, and she turns around, and she walks back to the weeping woman, and she sits down, and she embraces her. And they just cried together. For a few minutes, they didn't talk. They just cried together. And yet, in the absence of words, there was so much said. They shared tears that said, I saw you, and I just didn't think you should cry alone. You looked like you needed a friend. We don't know each other, but in this moment, I will be that for you. What a beautiful act of friendship to the wounded. And what a wonderful expression of what the church is meant to be, right? The wounded need good friends. So if you're a friend and there's wounded in your life, move towards them. Move towards them. Now, to the wounded, it means this. Please hear this. If the wounded need good friends, and if you are wounded, you have to let people in. You have to let people in. You will need to welcome others into your wounds. You cannot do this alone. Sometimes the wounded suffer alone because no one responds to be the friend, but sometimes the wounded suffer alone because they put walls around their wounds and they don't let anybody in. Um, sometimes that's because I believe no one has time. I believe that I'm too much of a burden, and that's not true. Part of loving each other means sharing each other's burdens. Sometimes that's because I believe no one understands what I'm going through, and maybe that is true. Maybe those closest to you don't know what it's like to be you and to suffer like you, but you need them. And so letting them in might mean you have to help them help you. But friend, it is better to have a few friends who don't completely understand your suffering than to be the only one who understands and suffer all alone. Sometimes I don't let anyone in because I actually don't want my wounds to go away, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the wounded need good friends. If you are a friend, move towards the wounded. If you're wounded, let people in. Someone you trust, but you can't do it alone. The wounded need good words, good friends, good words. Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. One of the most important things in the life of the wounded are the words that are spoken to the wounded and the words that are spoken by the wounded. It's an important part of healing. And Proverbs teaches us something so helpful because it's so hard sometimes to know what to say to people. It's hard to know what to say when you're suffering. It's hard to know what to say to the suffering. And so truly, the wrong words can make wounds worse. That's what Proverbs says. A tongue that heals is a tree of life. A devious tongue breaks the spirit. The right words can bring healing. False words can make wounds worse. And there are two kinds of wrong words to the wounded, words that minimize and words that idolize. Words that minimize wounds and words that idolize wounds. Words that minimize, Proverbs 25, 20, it says this, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Remember that image. Have you ever been in a really serious or sacred moment and someone's phone goes off, and it's like a really annoying ringtone or something like that. 
I officiated the funeral for a, an older godly man once. Um, he, he had lived well and he had loved Jesus, and so the funeral was mostly celebration and, and gratitude. But it was still sacred and it was still sad. And in the middle, someone's phone goes off super loud and their ringtone was Don't Stop Believing by Journey, <laughs> which is a great song. But it was the wrong moment for that song. And, and you felt that thing that we've all felt where something light interrupted the sacred. Something that was like the wrong tone, it was the wrong mood came in. It was just this disruption to something that was serious or something that was sad or something that was sacred. It, that's what happens when we speak words to the wounded that minimize their wounds. Now, that's what happens when, when those words are spoken by anyone. It's like a song at the wrong time. And usually this means offering the wounded cheap comfort, just trying to make it better, not necessarily for them, but just, just to lighten the mood. Several years ago, a family member of mine miscarried a child, and she told someone about it, and they responded to her and said, well, at least you already have one kid. That's an empty song to a heavy heart. They're trying to help them see something good, I guess. Like, look at the positive. What about the child you already have? It's like, okay, yes, but what about the one I lost? Don't sing a song. Shortly after my little brother was born, who was born with a birth defect, someone came up to my dad at church. My dad was in his late 20s, and he had been a pastor just a few years, and a church member came up to him and said, you know, uh, God gave you a handicapped son to teach you humility. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, God's got a plan, I guess. Uh, there's a reason behind this. But come on, <laughs> really? Like you know enough about the mystery of why God allows what he allows that you would tell a poor, young, grieving preacher, God was so worried about your pride, he gave you a suffering child. Goodness, the wrong words to the wounded can make wounds worse. And here's what I think it is, friends. We see someone who is sad, and we think that's wrong. It's wrong that they're sad. We live in a country that pursues happiness as an ultimate goal stated in our, in our creeds. So it's my job, if I see someone sad, to make the sad person happy. How about a song? How about I help you see that it's not as bad as you think? How about I start helping you see, just guessing at why God allowed what he allowed? And there may be truth in what's said, but the problem is it's not our job to help people get happy. The sadness itself is not wrong. It's in response to wrong that happened. Loss Sickness, fools, deeply wounded. And the right response when something wrong has happened is sadness. The right response is grief. Proverbs 25.20 says, Grief is a garment. When life is cold and things have gone wrong, you wear grief like a garment because it's the only thing that makes sense. A smile doesn't make sense. A song doesn't help. What helps is to clothe myself in grief and to clothe myself in sorrow, and it matches and mirrors my reality. And wisdom says to us, don't try to take someone's garment of grief away from them. They'll freeze. Griefing is what's needed. The wounded need good words, not words that minimize. There's another side to that. What also is harmful are words that idolize. And this is something that the wounded are really vulnerable to. I want to speak really carefully because it's easy to be misunderstood. Usually these are not words spoken to the wounded. These are words that are spoken or believed by the wounded. And here's what it is. It's where I build my very identity and worth 
around the ways I've suffered to the point where I need to be in a perpetual state of being wronged in order to know who I am, which sounds like a few things. It sounds like the wounded, they will minimize wounds in other people's lives. If my wounds have become my idol, I have to be the one most wounded. And so I look and say, even just to myself, no one has suffered like me. Or I hear someone else talk about something painful in their life, and I roll my eyes and think they have no idea. I've been through worse because I've tied my worth to my wounds. And so if I am the most wounded, I'm the most worthy. And listen, friends, people do suffer in different degrees. That's true. But I have never known someone to find healing by winning the competition of who has it worse. It also sounds like this, the wounded looking for wounds even where they don't exist. If I need to stay in a perpetual state of being wronged in order to know who I am, I need to continue to find ways I'm being wronged. And so that makes me hypercritical of others. That makes me unable to believe the best, unable to extend charity, always ready for the next wrong, which means I find it even where it doesn't exist. Like maybe someone coming to me in loving honesty, or they're coming to me in concern over something they see in my life, and instead of me calling it accountability, instead of me calling it care, I call it being wronged again. I call it being wounded. Can you believe what they said to me? Remember we said sometimes the wounded don't let people in. They build walls around their ruins, and sometimes it's because they don't want to be a burden. Sometimes it's because they believe nobody understands. But sometimes I build walls because friends bring comfort, and I don't want comfort. I just want to be in my wounds. And it just makes wounds worse. The wounded don't need words that minimize. They don't need words that idolize. They need good words. What does that sound like? Our Savior tells us in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are the good words that the wounded need? They need words of mourning and words of lament. Maybe we think the good words are words of hope, and, and there's truth to that. And maybe we think the good words are things being made right, and that's true. But as important are words of mourning and words of grief and words of lament. Good words are not good because they are happy instead of sad. Good words are good because they're true. And for the wounded, the most true words are words of lament. And mourning, if you remember, we've talked about this, mourning, lament, it's when I carry my grief to God. That's what I'm doing. I'm not minimizing my grief. It doesn't matter. I'm also not making my grief God and idolizing it. I'm carrying it to him, believing he cares. A good friend of mine who is bravely walking wisely in, in her own wounds shared a book with me this week. The book is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. And in that book, the author says this, anyone can cry, but it takes faith to turn to God and lament. To cry is human, to lament is Christian. It reminds me of what John Stott said about Matthew 5, 4. He said, there is such a thing as Christian tears, and many of us have never cried them. The wounded need good words, and the good words are words that carry grief to God. I'm being honest with God. I'm not rejecting him. It means this. I'm praying to God about what happened. I'm praying to God about suffering. And because the wounded need good friends, praying to God with others about my wounds, I'm carrying my grief to God. And we see this all over the Bible. Psalm 42, 3, my tears have been my food day and night, 
while all day long people say to me, where is your God? He's saying that to God. Verse 5, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him. Verse 6, I am deeply depressed. He's just praying, lamenting before God. And it feels uncomfortable. We're not used to this as language of prayer. We're definitely not used to this as language of faith, but it is. To the wounded, God invites, he commands. Here's what the good words are. The good words are, carry your grief to me. I want to hear about it. Tell me about it. Don't dress it up. Lay it before me and strip down sorrow because it says this. When we do that, when we grieve, when we lament, when we carry grief to God, what it says is as hard as these words are and as hard as life is and as full of pain, I'm speaking them to God and simply by speaking them means I'm fighting to believe that he sees and cares. And I don't want to grieve without him. To cry is human, but I'm not simply a human. I'm a Christian. To lament is Christian. And the beauty that comes out of and with our wounds comes from a mixture of deep sorrow over what is wrong and deep trust that in the sorrow, God has not abandoned me. Not only that, he wants to hear from me about it. The good words the wounded need are words of mourning and grief and lament directed in raw faith toward God. Have you ever done that? If you'd say, I have a, a story that deserves a scar, have you lamented that? Have you lamented the loss? Have you lamented sickness? Have you lamented the wounds from a fool? The wounded need good words. The wounded need good friends. The wounded need good words. And the wounded need good news. Proverbs 25, 25. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. The idea is that there is news that is foreign. It's not from here. It's like you see around you what's bleak and, and, and dark in the present and, and, and around me, but from another country, from another place, something has happened. From a foreign land, something is coming that will lift the spirit. Something is coming that will make things right. And, and that good news, brothers and sisters, the good news is Jesus. He is in heaven, and from the foreign land, he is coming. He will make all things right. That's what we celebrate next Sunday, right? The tomb is empty. Evil has an ending. Death is defeated. The good news from the far country, that's cold water to the thirsty soul. That's healing water to the wounded spirit is that Jesus brings good news. He will make all things right one day. But not only that, please hear this. The good news the wounded need is that Jesus empathizes with the wounded as one who knows what wounds are like because he has his own. Jesus has scars that tell a story. Isaiah says he was bruised for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins, the punishment for our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Edward Chilido was a pastor in England during World War I, the Great War, and he wrote a poem during that time and his poem is in response to trying to pastor his people well. He is looking around at the horrors of war, and he's asking, what could God possibly have to offer a war-torn people? What could God say to, to people wounded by war? What does God have to say to a world torn apart by war? What possible comfort can he offer? What good news is there in the midst of all the darkness and death? And here was his answer. His answer is this, our God knows wounds. 
our Savior has scars. And he wrote a poem called Jesus of the Scars. It goes like this. If we have never sought thee, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. The heavens frighten us. They are too calm. In all the universe, we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is the balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars, we claim thy grace. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. What good news is there for the wounded? The good news is that Jesus, your Savior himself, has scars that tell a story. And you can look at Jesus and you can see his scars and you can know, man, something happened to him and his scars tell a story of being betrayed and they tell a story of being wrongly accused and forsaken by the Father and rejected and tortured and killed and, and they tell a story of love and rescue, and redemption, and salvation, and resurrection. And because of that, he knows, and he is with you in your wounds. Other gods were strong, he was weak. They rode, he stumbled to a throne. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And Jesus, and Jesus alone has wounds. And if you're wounded with no friend, he's a friend to you. And if you're wounded and need words, he speaks good words over you and with you. And if your life is filled with only bad news, Jesus of the scars is good news for you. And with him, and only with him, we can be wounded and beautiful. Father, we love you. We need you. It's another Sunday where I feel the limits, God, of this moment, or at least the limits of my abilities in this moment. Would you help us, Lord Jesus? Maybe what, what is most needed from us and for us, from you, God, for us, what is most needed is just to be reminded that you, God, know what it's like to suffer. And somehow, somehow we can take all of our I don't knows and we can take all of the mystery and we can take all of the why God and not get answers, but somehow we can lay that before you and get a person. Jesus of the scars, who to see him physically is to know something happened to him. And he can meet us and he can minister to us. Maybe some of us, God, need to, for the first time, learn to lament. We need the good words of mourning to lay before you, to offer to you. Maybe some of us, we just need our good friends to be with us. Or some of us need to decide in this moment, I'm going to be that friend for the wounded. We love you. We need you. 